Some of you may know this about me, uh, but I am a huge comic book nerd. Honestly, here's how it happened. I've, I've got a great excuse. I was splashing around in the pool, the town pool in Robertsonville, North Carolina, a little town, not much bigger than Greensboro. I was just frolicking around there and having fun with my friends, and my dad pulls up. Now, I've told you it's kind of like growing up in Mayberry. My dad pulled up in the police car, and uh, he got out, and he said, get, get out, dry off. i got to take you home. You, gotta, you need to change clothes. You have a job. My dad was sneaky like that. So I got out. I dried off. I wasn't too happy about it, uh, and he took me to a little place called Williams Red and White. It was a small grocery store right on Railroad Street. And um, I started working there a couple of days a week, bagging groceries, stocking shelves, doing those things that that I was able to do. And I actually stayed there and worked through uh, most of middle school and high school, uh, made enough money to uh, to buy my own car. And you'll remember that's the car that my dad pulled up in the driveway and said, hey, would you like this car? And I said, yes. He said, well, great. Your payments are eighty one seventy five a month. I told you my dad was like that. But I got this job at Williams Red and White, and it, was, it wasn't too strenuous, and I was able to, to earn some money and, and pay for some of the things that uh, kids like to have. But at the front of the store, there was a magazine rack, magazine rack and newspapers, all kinds of magazines. And then there was this wire rotating rack to the side. I remember it was a black wire rack, and in it were these comic books, Marvel, DC, Archie stuff. I always put the Archie stuff at the bottom because who needed that? And, but all the superhero kind of stuff, I kind of, I kind of, and I started thumbing through those and, and then I, on break, I'd, I'd read one and, and pretty soon it seemed like part of my check every week was going to buy comic books. I ended up with a pretty decent collection of comic books and I loved to read comic books. It probably sparked for me my love of reading itself. But I always enjoyed those stories, those colorfully clad characters who are out to save the world. And a lot of times, not in every story, but a lot of times this is the way they started. Some ordinary man or ordinary woman has some event in their life where they either discover they have some superpower or something happens to them and they have this superpower. And then the most of them, not all of them, but the most of them decided, you know what, I'll use this power in order to help people. And that's where, if, if some of you have any familiarity with this at all, you may remember Uncle Ben, who was Spider-Man's uncle, and the line, with great power comes great responsibility. Hey, listen, for a middle schooler, that was powerful stuff. That was great philosophy. And I started reading these comic books and started getting into them. Now, now here's the thing. Most of us don't have lasers that shoot out of our eyes. We don't have super speed which was evident when some of y'all showed up this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, <laughs> we don't have super strength. We haven't been written, bitten by a radioactive spider. But just about every one of us in here knows that there are events that can happen in life which radically change us and radically change the direction 
of our lives. And that's what I read in those comic books. And, and, and that's the reality that we face today, that there are things in our lives that radically impact our lives. The death of someone that we love, that has, a, that has a radical change in how we live. The diagnosis of cancer, it has a radical change in how we live. Getting a new job, graduating, having kids. Does, uh, does having kids change your life, Sarah? Oh, just a little bit. Okay. There are things that happen in our lives that radically change our lives. But there's one thing, above all things, that changes everything. And that is coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. When you have an encounter, not with a radioactive spider, but with the gospel, the good news of Jesus, things begin to change in life. This is what the Apostle Paul said. It's recorded in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why, he says, because it is the power of God for salvation. What an incredible thing for us to understand that this, this gospel, this good news about Jesus is the power of God that brings about a radical change, not just in our day-to-day life, but also in our eternity. And what we have to be careful of, because there are people out there who are proclaiming a gospel which is much more similar to a self-help program. A gospel that basically wants to teach you how to turn over a new leaf in life or how to overcome your bad habits. Here, the next time you are in Athens or, or in a mall somewhere, they still have a Barnes and Noble. You know, they still print real books. And the next time you're in a bookstore like that, look for the self-help section. It's easy to find. And it's full of books. All kinds of philosophies, all kinds of takes on it, all kinds of encouragement to help yourself, to to overcome, to, to be better. If you don't want to pack up and go somewhere and see a bookstore, then do this. Go on Amazon.com, go to the book section and just write self-help in the search. And what you will see there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of self-help books. I want to tell you, folks, the gospel is not another self-help philosophy. A lot of people view it like that. A lot of people would be satisfied if that all, that's all that it was, but that is not what the gospel is. The gospel is not about making bad people into good people. I want you to hear me. That can happen, but that's not what the gospel's about. Instead, here's what the gospel's about. The gospel is about making spiritually dead people alive. And that's a radical difference. That's an incredible difference. It's not just about making me a better Jimmy. I'm sure some of you would like it if that would happen, but that's not what the gospel's about. That may happen because of the gospel, but it's not what the gospel's about. The gospel is that I was dead in my sins and trespasses, and Jesus came and made me alive. 
the gospel is about, I was spiritually blind and unable to see things as they really are, and Jesus opened my eyes. That's what the gospel does. It is a radical transformation that begins on the inside, not the outside. Self-help books are about, what can I do on the outside to change my life? How can I get this new calendar? How can I get this new way of organizing? How can I get this new way of of meditating? How can I do all these things on the outside? The gospel is about Jesus coming to live on the inside. And when you brought a baby home from the hospital, listen, when you brought a baby home from the hospital, I can tell you that everything changed about your life. If you bring Jesus inside, can we expect that everything will remain the same? He begins to to make this change in us. So the gospel is not about making bad people into good people. It is about making spiritually dead people alive. And then that life of Christ in us produces the change. And so what we've got is that the gospel's effect is to bring salvation, and our salvation brings about transformation. So, that's why our mission statement goes like this. Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Here is the effect, the evidence of the gospel's reality. Life change. Things begin to change. God, when you receive Christ, God moves in. The Holy Spirit moves in. And He begins to change you from the inside, changing priorities and changing values and changing worldview and changing those things changes everything. So that now we no longer look at tragedies in the world and think, you know, how awful that is that, you know, these, these unlucky people just happen to live in the wrong place at the, at the wrong time. How cruel God must be because he allowed all this stuff to happen. Once Jesus begins to move in, once the truth begins to seep in, we begin to see the world in a different way. We respond to something like that, acknowledging that we don't have all the answers, but we believe what we just sang a few moments ago. Great is thy faithfulness. That God, even when I don't understand, I still trust you. I still know that you're a good God and that I live in a broken, fallen world. And that because I live in this broken, fallen world, it's not the way you set it up to be. But I also believe, God, that you carry us through on this side and that one day you're going to make everything right. It changes us from the inside so that everything changes on the outside. And so listen, the effect of the gospel is salvation that leads transformation. The effect of the gospel is salvation that leads to transformation. And most of us only think of the gospel in terms of salvation. You know, you preach, preach the gospel, share the gospel, and salvation occurs. And that's, that's true. The gospel is about salvation. 
You hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit quickens your heart and you you begin to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And, and at that moment, you, you turn your back on sin, you turn from your sin, you repent and you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, receive Him as Lord of your life and you trust that He and He alone is your salvation. Yes, that is absolutely and totally true. At that time, you enter into this new relationship with the Father. But don't, don't be confused. The gospel is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel is not your golden ticket to get into pearly gates. The gospel is not simply about being saved. The gospel is about being a son or a daughter of the King of Heaven. The gospel is about entering into an intimate and eternal relationship with, with God by the completed and perfect work of His Son, Jesus. A relationship that changes your values and your purpose, your priorities, as well as your eternity. And so here's my encouragement today. Our lives need to be anchored and centered in the gospel. For some of us, the gospel was a thing back there that converted me. I want to tell you the gospel's bigger than that. Our lives are to be anchored in that gospel and centered in that gospel, and we are to live in that gospel. A gospel-centered life is no big mystery. It's no big, you know, I'm not giving you a a huge revelation. A gospel-centered life is simply this. It is a life that is shaped by our faith in Jesus. It's not just our eternity that has been changed by our faith in Jesus. It's just everything. There's no part of our life that's left untouched by the gospel. When we trust in Jesus, not the Jesus of our imagination, not the Jesus that the culture pictures for us, but the Jesus who is God with us, the suffering servant, the faithful son, the crucified Savior, the risen Lord, and the soon and returning King, there is no part, listen, there is no part of my life and no part of your life that should be untouched by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no part of my life and no part of your life that is untouched by the gospel because of this. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. And Jesus is not only our Savior, He is our friend, He is our Lord. He is our master. For those who trust in him, Jesus becomes everything. The gospel is not merely the beginning of our Christian walk. It is the totality of our Christian experience. We are gospel people. We are good news people. We are people for whom the good news truly is good news. How does Luke's gospel tell us it? How does it begin? It begins with an angel from heaven declaring, I bring you good news, which is of great joy to all people. I bring you good news. That word good news is literally gospel. And guess what? It's the word from which we get our English word evangelism. We think this, we, we think this evangelism stuff 
We think it's something really spooky, something that only the trained people can do. Oh, you've got, you've got to go to classes for that. And, and we try to help by giving you those classes if you think that way. But honestly, here's, here's what the gospel's all about, sharing the good news, the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he did, and how he saved you and how your life has changed. And you speak that with your mouth, but you also show it with your life. And let me warn you, what you show with your life can counter, contradict what you speak with your mouth. You want to be awfully careful that you don't talk about a Jesus who changes everything, and then you go and live a life where nothing changes. That's confusing to people. People don't want that kind of a Jesus. People don't want an empty shell of Jesus. If this gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, then isn't it also powerful enough to change us daily? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, let me give you a little bit more of what it says about the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, we kind of get the gospel defined for us. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And so what we're getting here is, if you want to know the core of the gospel, that is, the scriptures said that Jesus would come, he would die for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he appeared to others, proving his resurrection. This is the Jesus we preach. This is the Jesus we proclaim. Not a self-help guru, but a crucified and risen Savior. This is a Jesus who changes us. A self-help Jesus is not going to change us. A cartoon Jesus is not going to change us. An empty shell of a Jesus is not going to change us. But the real Jesus changes everything. So we can see that the gospel is about salvation. There's no doubt about it. But I hope that you can also see that the gospel is about transformation. It's about your daily life, how we live in Christ. So, so that's, I want to I take just a few minutes and, and really address that. How does one live then a gospel-centered life? How do you live a gospel-centered life? What does that kind of life look like? And that's where the challenge goes, because you want to know, okay, it's, we can come in here, we can, we can talk about the gospel, but how, does I, how do I take this gospel and live this gospel outside these four walls? How does this gospel make a difference in my family, in my community, and in my life? How does this gospel become transformational for me, change me? How do I make this gospel 
portable, mobile, so that wherever I go, it goes. And I'd like you to consider the answer in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's not what you want. Come on. Here's what we want. Jimmy, give me three easy steps to spiritual transformation. Jimmy, your next book, go out and write a book on the, the secret of transformation. And then let me in on that secret. There is no secret. There are no three easy steps. What are we called to do? I am crucified with Christ. Or as Jesus put it in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, that's no more comfortable than what Paul said. As a matter of fact, maybe it's more challenging for me. We say, don't we? We believe the gospel. If we took a poll right now, I, I put out surveys and I said, do you believe the gospel? Oh, yes, I believe God. How, on a scale of one to five, how much do you believe? Oh, I believe five. Well, I'm way up here. Matter of fact, I'd probably be six if you put that number on there. I'm way over there. I believe the gospel. I really believe the gospel. And yet, you who believe the gospel, if I were to say, okay, on a scale of one to five, how much transformation is taking place in your life spiritually? Where would the dot be? Which of those circles would you color in? Why is that? What's the disconnect? What's, what's the problem? Could it be that the problem is that we want a Jesus who would die for our sins, but that we ourselves aren't willing to die to ourselves? Could it be that the problem is, I really want Christ to live in me, but I'm not too sure I want him to live through me. Because that could take me places I'm not sure I want to go. To people I'm not sure I want to meet. To do things I'm not sure I want to do. Could the problem be, I mean, when we're really honest with ourselves, and it really comes right down to it, when we're alone in the room looking in the mirror, could it really be that, you know, Jesus, I want to be saved, but I'm not sure I want to follow you. I remember sitting in my office in a previous church, and I had a young man in there, and his mother had sent him because she thought he was ready uh, to receive Jesus. And so... We sat and we talked about it, and he knew every answer. He knew them all. He'd, been in, he'd grown up in Sunday school and church. He'd been in vacation Bible school. He knew all the answers, knew who Jesus was, knew who Jesus, what Jesus did. And I, I had this uneasiness. And, and, and so I, I asked him a different question, a, a follow-up question to all that. 
And I said, well, are you ready today to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? And he looked at me, and his face just fell. And he said, no. And I think if many of us were honest, honest with God and honest with ourselves, we're really not ready for Jesus to set the agenda of our lives. We're really not ready to go where he wants us to go and to do what he wants us to do. And this is not meant to be a criticism of you because, listen, we all struggle with that. There's only one throne in our lives, and that throne is to be occupied by the Prince of Heaven. It belongs to Jesus. It didn't belong to me. And what, what do I find myself doing with this throne of Jesus where he sits and I'm to be here kneeling before the throne and, and Jesus begins to, to move in my life and he begins to, to call me to move and to shift and to change. And he says, come with me, come with me, come with me, come with me. And I'm like, well, Jesus, listen, I've got these things that I want to do. Really, these things are important to me. Could you slide over? I don't want much. I want just a little corner right here. I'd like just a little piece of the throne, if you don't mind. Listen, I'm barely on here. Could you slide over a little bit more? And um, okay, yeah, that's better. That's, that's better. And before I know it, I've kicked Jesus off the throne. And I've taken it to be my very own. Could the reason we see so little transformation, so little spiritual change, so little joy and peace and contentment in our Christian lives, could it be because we want the throne for ourselves? We want to be Lord. Because Jesus, I'm really not sure I trust you to be Lord. I think I know where I could go and what I could do and how I could spend my resources and my life. Maybe I know better than you. That's what often is. But let me tell you what can be. This is what can be. When we allow the gospel to have its work and have its way in us, and we allow Jesus to be Lord, we can have a life that passionately seeks to know the Father's will. The call in Romans 12 is not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he says, then, he says, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When I began to let the Holy Spirit, when I began to let Jesus as Lord have control of my life, then I began to see God's will, and I can passionately pursue that will. We can have a life when, when the gospel have its, has its effect. We can have a life that willingly sacrifices in order to serve others. Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to 
serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And our call is to follow in his footsteps. And I got to tell you, following in his footsteps means we are called to serve. And when we begin to let the gospel have its way in us, the truth of God have its way in us, the lordship of Christ to have its way in us, the leadership of the Holy Spirit to have its way in us, then we become more willing to sacrifice in order to serve others. Nothing then is beneath us. When we let the gospel have its full effect, then we can have a life that willingly sacrifices to serve others and unashamedly stands up for those who are helpless and hurting. And I got to tell you, church, through the centuries, we've not done a good job of this. I am pleased. I am excited. I am glad to be part of a church that takes pro-life seriously, that takes the lives of unborn kids seriously, because those children have no voice apart from the voice that is given to them. And we need to be that voice, but they are not the only group we need to be standing with. I know you see all this stuff and it's very disturbing out there in our culture, but we need to understand that we need to be standing for those who are hurting and helpless, standing for those who are minorities, standing for those who are outcasts, standing for those who are kicked to the curb. We need to be standing for them and speaking for them to give them a voice that they may not have. We need to stand for what is right. We need to stand for justice to be done. We need to stand for equality for men and women. And regardless of what their standing is, we need to be standing for them. And for too long, the church has just kept their mouths shut and let the culture go on without standing. Oh, yeah, we'll get upset if, you know, something happens to the school board that doesn't, that, that doesn't fit us. But are we willing to rally around those who are hurting and helpless and having, having little voice? Part of what we're doing today with the offering is we're trying to help the the hurting and helpless. But this is something that's an everyday thing for us. We need to keep our antenna up. We need to be alert for how we can respond in this way. And your life can look like this because I got to tell you, if you went back to Jesus' time and you said, okay, I'm looking for Jesus. Not where's Waldo, but where's Jesus? There'd be times you'd find him in the synagogue. There'd be times you'd find him with the, in the temple. But then there'd be times you'd go, hey, listen, has anybody seen Jesus? And they would go, oh, yeah. Last time I saw him, he was, he was at a dinner party. And you wouldn't believe the kind of folks that were there. There, there, were, the, there were tax collectors there. Those guys that rip us off and, and serve the Roman government, that scum of the earth. There were tax collectors there. You know what else I saw there? I saw prostitutes. Yeah, prostitutes. They were there too. As a matter of fact, everybody that you wouldn't invite to your house, he's hanging around with them. Where are we? I'm not saying we lower our standards. I'm not saying we become like them. But where would Jesus be? And finally, 
If we let the gospel have its way in us, then we can have a life that relentlessly shares the gospel in order to bring others into a right relationship with the Father. We will grieve for those who don't know Jesus because we know what not knowing Jesus means in eternity and in this life. It's not just that we want them to go to heaven. Sure, we want them to go to heaven. We want them to stay out of hell. But don't we want them to have peace and assurance and contentment and joy in this life too? It's so easy to get so involved in our lives, to get so on a one-track thing of doing what we're going to do and doing it the way we want to do it, we forget all about the people that we encounter on a daily basis who are far from God, who may come near to Him if someone were just willing to share some good news. I know this is a lot to dump on you today. It is a lot. But I believe that the gospel can and should have an effect on those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. An effect that goes beyond just admittance into heaven. An effect each and every single day. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful for your word and and thank you lord that it challenges us to to move off center to move uh, from where we are to where you want us to be and so lord i want to pray especially for those who don't know the good news themselves who've not been introduced to the jesus who is our good news and i want to pray lord today that your holy spirit might move in their hearts to draw that man, that woman, that young person to you in a saving way. I want to pray, Lord, that your spirit would just begin to move and stir up, not bringing guilt, but bringing conviction, but also offering hope. Not hope just for today, but hope forever. Lord, if there's someone who's struggling right now with whether to follow Jesus I pray your spirit would simply draw him or draw her to come to your throne of grace and find forgiveness and restoration and meaning in life. Lord, for those who may have been convicted by your word today that they're on the throne, not Jesus. By the power of your spirit, Lord, would you speak to that heart, speak to that mind to call them down off that throne to allow Jesus to be where he ought to be as Lord of life. Lord, if they simply need to come and just pour it all out here, make a commitment anew today to, to put Jesus back where he belongs, Lord, I pray that this might be their day. Lord, if there are those who've been convicted that they've kept their mouths shut too long to speak up for the hurting and helpless, but also to speak words of good news to those who need it desperately. 
Lord, I pray today would be a day where mouths would be opened to speak words of life. Father, whatever you need to do in this time, however your spirit wants to move, we ask that you would have your way with us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.